0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: Really get a whole handle on the hog market. The first thing we have to just just acknowledge is that the cash market and the futures market is kind of dislocated from itself. I mean, while we were a limit up at the end of last week, the cash prices
2: were still going down.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is Monday, August 20th. I am Mike Pearson joined by Hannah, excuse me, by Delaney Howell. Delaney, gosh. We, had, we don't have an intern anymore.
3: I know, Mike. Today's our first day back at it, just the two of us. I'm not really excited about it, i got to tell you.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I guess I still thought she was here. I didn't mean to mispronounce your first name there, Delaney.
3: Yeah, I'm not Hannah, Mike.
0: Nope, nope you are not. Um, Hannah's very friendly.
3: Hey! Oh. <laughs> That's not very nice.
0: You Maybe are you very friendly, I imagine, to some people as well.
3: <laughs> Maybe if you were nicer to me, I'd be friendlier to you.
0: Oh, you think that's it? Okay.
3: Yeah, I'll go with that.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. We have had really the first major rain event across much of the upper Midwest today, and it is the first day of the Pro Farmer Midwest Mm -hmm. Crop Tour. Our good friend Ted Seifert is out tromping through wet fields up in South Dakota and Nebraska today. So hopefully we'll get an update from him here a little bit later on in the week and see how things are looking.
3: Yeah, was he on the Western Lake, I believe?
0: Yes, he is on the western leg.
3: Yeah. So that stinks for them that they are doing it in the rain. And this little, rain is. I know makes... a lot of folks. Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead.
0: I was going to say, I, you know, a lot of folks up there, particularly in, uh, in South Dakota, especially as you get a little farther west, you know, they were due for some rain.
3: Well, that's true. The drought monitor does, uh, continue to have them on there, but, I don't like this rain because it's, uh, to me, it's like good napping and Netflix weather, so it doesn't make me feel particularly motivated due to do anything, especially after the fair was last week, and that kind of kicked my butt. Yep,
0: yep, but now you're a grown-up, and every day is I know.
3: work. I Well, you know, yeah, I guess it is.
0: Well, speaking of work, we'll be talking to our good friend Craig Turner here for the Market Monday section of today's podcast, but before we get to that, Delaney, I know you've been working hard all morning, digging up some ag headlines. What's jumped out at you?
3: I have, Mike. There's been quite a bit jumping out at me this morning. I'm going to start here with some NAFTA and trade talks. So on Friday, we saw some big news come out between the U.S. and Mexico as regards to the agricultural side of NAFTA, and the U.S. has officially decided to, I guess, abandon the uh, seasonality clause or the seasonality measure, which would allow the U.S. and Mexico to focus on some other issues. And if we will remember back, we've talked about that seasonality provision before. The provision basically allows for countries to impose anti-dumping and countervailing duties on perishable products. But the the key here that I think really bothered Mexico was that it would only have to use one season's worth of data And requests from a small regional group representing the commodity as opposed to kind of the more general picture. And I think the reason they wanted this seasonality provision in the first place was so that during some of those peak seasons for U.S. production of, let's say, tomatoes or grapes or whatever, Canada and Mexico wouldn't be able to flood the market with their products as well. But it looks like we have abandoned that clause
0: Interesting. So now, if it were signed today, Mm -hmm. Mexican goods could come over year round, or Canadian goods.
3: Right. Huh. The other piece of of NAFTA news that we're paying attention to this week is, of course, they're trying to uh, get that deal done here. December 1st is a really hard deadline, but really as early as the end of August is what I've been reading. However, Finally, we are going to see Canada maybe rejoin talks as soon as this week. And um, Mexican economy secretary, Ildefonso Guajardo is going to return to Washington this week for the fifth consecutive week and hopes to wrap up their one-on-one sessions with the U.S. this week.
0: Well, you know, uh, the fact they're going to be close to wrapping that thing up, at least with Mexico means it might be able to make the what December deadline for the new Mm -hmm. Mexican president. Yeah, right. Hmm. Well, that could be some good news there. It'll certainly be nice to have some positive trade news hit the headlines. I think that would certainly spur some positive movement in commodity prices, Delaney.
3: Absolutely. Well, and we have other trade talks going on this week, Mike. The European officials, some EU, um, the EU Commission President, Jean-Claude Juncker, will, his chief trade advisor, will be in the U.S. today in Washington, D.C. to meet for various trade talks. And then also, of course, this week we've got kind of a lower-level trade talk going on between China's Vice Minister of Commerce and our U.S. Undersecretary Treasury of International Affairs. That's going to be happening August 22nd and 23rd. So definitely some stuff that could spark market movement this week, Mike.
0: Yeah, that China one's going to be the one to watch, I think. You know, that's the that's the big dog in the uh, hen house or whatever. Mm. I'm not good at analogies. <laughs> uh, but that's, you know, if we could make some progress here with these low-level meetings, then when President Xi comes to Washington, maybe he and Donald Trump can sit down and just find something to shake hands over. Mm. And gosh, that would go a long way to uh, benefiting American farmers.
3: Yes, it definitely would.
0: Well, you know, I am uh, constantly intrigued by Venezuela. Delaney, you know this.
3: Yes. We talked
0: with Patty Laya here a couple months ago about their new cryptocurrency, the Petro, and Venezuela continues to suffer. And this is one of those countries that I think we're going to hear a lot more calls for, you know, socialism, more government involvement, blah, 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 blah here in the US. Yesterday, or excuse me, today, the country of Venezuela decided that from now on, They're just dropping five zeros off of all of their currency. Why? Because inflation is so high that they basically can't print bills with the right amount of zeros on them anymore. Oh, my. Yeah. So if you had a $10,000 bill, that's now worth 10 cents. Oh, yeah, well I mean it was worth 10 cents before it was worth probably a lot less than 10 cents before, but now it's printed as a 10 cent bill rather than a $100,000 bill and that's the that's now called the sovereign bolivar. So we're I'm going to keep an eye on this. I sent uh, sent a text down to Patty to see how things are going. She's in Caracas and we'll see you know what what's happening. This is an example of usually mm-hmm. inflation drives commodity prices higher. So I'm interested to see if Venezuelan farmers mm-hmm. are benefiting from this really wacky uh, situation that's going on down there.
3: That is a really wacky situation, Mike.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wacky is probably not a great word for it. I mean, people are starving. Right. You know, they're fighting with each other for toilet paper. There's, you know, it's really a catastrophic Mm -hmm. humanitarian event. Probably a better way to put it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mike, I don't know if you have seen the new or the latest on the nationwide stay for the WOTUS rule.
0: Which aspect was this, Delaney, that you're talking about?
3: Yeah, so I kind of wanted to talk through this with you because some of the legal jargon jargon confuses me, and you might have a better better handle on this one in particular. But uh, the American Farm Bureau Federation and some other agricultural groups are asking a Texas court now to block the enforcement of the Obama-era waters of the U.S. rule in the 26 states where the court has not already stayed its implementation.
0: Oh, I hadn't seen that.
3: Yeah, can you walk me through what that means?
0: Possibly. Let me find that article here, Delaney. Well, Delaney, and again, not a lawyer. So lawyers, chime in. Love to hear your thoughts. But the way I understand it is the court that ruled or that passed the injunction against the 24 states that currently don't have WOTUS in place, it only passed an injunction on those 24 states. Basically, it said if you filed suit against it, you're exempt from it for now. Mm-hmm. What the Farm Bureau and and some of these other ag groups are doing, they're going to Texas and they're trying to get a nationwide exemption. Basically, have a federal district court in Texas say, you know what, this doesn't hold up to uh, to constitutional, you know, requirements. We think it'll be overturned. So from now on, no states have to implement it while it goes through the legal process.
3: And basically, what the courts ruled in uh, South Carolina last week is that states have to go back and abide by the obama era wotus rules is that right
0: yes that's what the courts ruled last week is the 2015 wotus act is in place in the 26 states that didn't initially file suit against it
3: okay and then this farm bureau group and other groups are asking the texas court which is bizarre to me that they went to texas like why did they pick a texas court
0: I'm, and this is just an assumption. I I really have no data, but I would assume that they're maybe thinking a Texas court is going to be less likely to uphold an Obama era regulation than a, you know, California court or someplace else.
3: Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense.
0: Just a guess, but that, that would be my take. You know, if I want to, you know, Texas was never hugely fond of uh, President Obama or the WOTUS Act. So I'm guessing, you know, that was probably some of it. Hmm. Okay. So we'll have to keep an eye on it for sure, Delaney.
3: Yeah, we definitely will, Mike.
0: Now, here's something interesting. And I, I, I'll be honest, again, I don't fully understand it. This is heavy science type stuff. But I think it's it could be fascinating. And I really want to get an expert on to talk about it. Delaney, you are familiar, of course, with the soybean cyst nematode, right?
3: Yes, vaguely yes. familiar.
0: The pest that gets in there and it's not great. You know, it's one of those things that comes up in bean acres. Mm -hmm. Well, the University of Illinois has figured out that the soybean cyst nematode is one of two different classes of roundworm that can lose and then regain mobility as a part of their life cycle. So basically, it can be crippled and then learn to walk again, so to speak. Yeah. So what they're saying is, you know, perhaps there's a way we can apply this kind of thinking to humans. So they're saying the muscles shrink and they separate away from the exoskeleton. This is in a nematode, and that's they're paralyzed. And he's they said, We didn't know this before. And he goes, What's happening now is that muscle then regrows, kind of reattaches to the exoskeleton, and the nematode is, is mobile again.
3: Okay. That sounds gross. so.
0: I don't know how it can work with people, it has something to do with GABA binding receptors that I don't understand, but I think it's very cool. Yeah. If we can take a pest and learn something positive for humanity, that's a win.
3: Well, it's not, I guess, all that different than what SAB Biotherapeutics is doing, um, trying to harvest plasma from cattle, transchromosoma cattle.
0: Yeah, yeah, pretty similar.
3: Yeah. Interesting.
0: Well, Delaney, do you have any other news before we jump into the markets and our conversation with uh, Craig?
3: I do. And we had kind of almost a limit down day today in the lean hog market. And I don't know if it's because of this, but a third case of the African swine fever has been uh, released or notified, I guess, in China this newest case is about 350 miles east of the second case, which was reported last Thursday at that slaughter plant in the Henan province. And in this current case that has been announced just yesterday, 615 pigs were reported as infected and 88 have so far died, and uh, that is confirmed to be because of the African swine fever
0: so we really don't know where the, how these things are getting around in China, it mm-hmm. sounds like.
3: No, but it looks like they have a little map in the article I'm reading. It's basically a triangle, the areas that have been affected so far.
0: Hmm. I bet if you do a triangulation and go to the center of that triangle, you'll find a bunch of wild boars. Could be. That's my guess. Okay. Not yeah. a scientist.
3: No, I know. Definitely not.
0: Well, you mentioned the hog market there, Delaney. What do you say? Should we jump into the markets and see what all's going on?
3: Let's do it, Mike.
0: All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our good friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, Ted Seifert's out there getting some hands-on yield information on the Pro Farmer Crop Tour. If you want that kind of expertise working for you, give them a call at 312-277-0050 or reach them online at zaner, com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Quick look here at the markets. Mixed trade in the grains today. In the corn market September down 1 and a quarter cents at 362 and 3 quarters, December down 1 and 3 quarters to close the day at 377 even. Soybeans September contract unchanged on the day at 881 and a half. The November contract also unchanged finished the day at 892 and 3 quarters. In wheat the September Chicago wheat contract dropped 18 and a quarter cents finished the day at 542 and a quarter. December down 17 to close at 5 62 and 3 quarters. Looking over to livestock as Delaney alluded to, there's a lot of red ink on the screen today in all classes. In the live cattle contract, the August contract down 35 cents at 109.0750, the October down 42 and a half to close at 110.45. Feeder cattle weakness continued, the August contract down a dollar 32 and a half at 149.6250, September down 72 and a half to close at 151.10. And in lean hogs, that front month contract took a beating today, October down two dollars twelve and a half cents at 56 47 and a half the december down a dollar to close the day at 54 22 and a half quick look over at the dairy market in class three milk the august contract up a penny at 1502 with september down 12 to close at 1569 before we get to our conversation for hashtag market monday with craig turner let's get a word from our friends at latham high tech seeds Joining me this week is Phil Long from Latham High Tech Seeds. Phil, harvest is coming up. We're starting to think about winter and, of course, next spring. And for a lot of folks, that means cover crops. Latham Seeds does sell cover crops. What do growers need to be thinking about this time of year if that's an avenue they're considering?
2: Yeah, definitely, Mike. There's a lot of guys that are, that are starting to use cover crops. And I know guys that are seeing even yield benefits from them. Uh, but beyond that, a lot of, a lot of the, the majority of guys are using a cereal rye. uh tends to be the top choice just because of the length of the window that you have to get it in. It's the hardiest cereal cereal grain that we really have, not to be confused with rye grass. Um, but cereal rye r- works really well after corn, before soybeans the best in terms of weed control and uh, managing moisture and organic matter and so forth. Uh, but it's a, an excellent choice to fly on as well. Um, even for those guys in the south that's been staying kind of dry down there, You know, getting it on there before the leaves completely drop and harvest um, will provide a good opportunity for that to take up moisture. It, it germinates fairly easily, so that's the, the good thing, but drilling is also another option that can be done with rye even up into November and still see really good success. Fantastic.
0: Folks, if cover crops is something you're considering this year, give the folks at Latham Seeds a call. They can help you with every aspect of it, and you can reach them at 877-GO-LATHAM or on the website at LathamSeeds.com. Well, folks, we're joined by frequent contributor Craig Turner, who's there at Daniel's Trading. He's the author of the Turner's Take newsletter and podcast. And Craig, thanks for taking the time to talk to us
1: absolutely always happy to come on the show
0: well you know craig we gotta jump in here last friday was a little crazy we're seeing the market sort of try to figure out what in the world is going on i want to talk corn specifically pro farmer crop tours going on what's your expectation are we going to see big changes from what usda reported
1: no um you know i think the the expectation is it's gonna you know pro farmer i wouldn't be surprised if they came out with you know, the same thing as USDA, 177, 178 uh, on the yield side. When you see, you know, the pictures coming through in the early reports, there's no big surprises out there. I mean, for every, you know, little bit of a problem area, it seems like there's a lot of good corn out there. I think just from talking to farmers over the past couple of weeks, you know, throughout throughout the Midwest, I would think that's pretty much the same. So, um, you know, it's a little early for beans, but I think for the corn market, we're going to basically, I think we're going to see. You know, the them drive pretty well with what the the expectations are you know, between the USD and Pro Farmer.
3: Craig, what about when you look at it from a soybean aspect? Same kind of story going on there?
1: Well the soybeans is a little bit early and um, a lot of what I've been hearing today it seems like has been really been or at least what I've been noticing on you know, the pictures that come through have more been about corn. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, my one concern with the soybeans is there has been, you know, there seems to be a lot of talk of the Japanese beetle issue. And you kind of got to wonder if there's going to be, is that widespread? Or is it sometimes that just what comes across your desk? Because, uh, you know, it just happens to be the small problem, but it gets retweeted around a lot or stuff like that. So I don't know. We'll, I, I'm still the jury is still out with soybeans. It sounds like the, I know when you talked to a lot of farmers in central Illinois and as you get into eastern Iowa and there's also parts of Missouri and, and Arkansas, you know, they had some real concern about that crop. And, you know, I've been talking about they really do need, you know, moisture and rains. I mean, there's there's been some farmers in central Illinois who, you know, are saying their soybean crop is burning up. I, haven't, I, don't think prof- I don't think the tour has gotten to those areas yet, so it'll be interesting to see what they say.
0: Well, Craig, you know, and that kind of surprised me today, we did have this huge uh, rain event move across Missouri, parts of Arkansas, parts of Iowa particularly the southern part, and I believe it even kind of squished into Illinois a little bit, and yet we saw beans unchanged to slightly higher on the day,
1: yeah, you know, and the thing with the the bean market is you know everythings about catalysts in these markets, I think. You know, if you made made the case that, you know, we have a 51 yield and the carryout's going to be 700, 800 million, you know, beans would be closer to $8 or at least 850, right? But there's all this chalk talk with China. And I think that the market realizes that if a deal gets done sooner rather than later, then maybe we should be at 950. And here we are kind of like in between because on the demand side, we can just as easily add about 200 million bushels um, to exports in the next couple of months if the US and China get their their act together but if they don't you know then we're going to be staying at these carrier levels it's very difficult to price soybeans right now it's very difficult to, to you know to really get a gauge on that market if you're gonna basically be saying it should carry out be closer to 800 you know 700 800 or should it be closer to 500 600 I don't think it has a lot to do with I don't think the market thinks it's gonna have a whole lot to do with what the side is going to be as much as it's going to be the demand side and how important these talks
3: are going to be this fall well craig speaking of catalysts and chinese negotiations we do have some lower level trade talks going on this week in the u.s between china and the u.s do you expect to see any bounce or support because of those trade talks later in the week
0: or a drop if
3: nothing gets accomplished yeah
1: that's the thing so they're, they're marketing that or playing it up as it is low-level talks to eventually have a roadmap between um, the Chinese president and President Trump on how they're going to get things done. And it sounds like, you know, this roadmap or this process isn't going to be sewn up between now and the election. It might be well into November if, you know, And just from the earlier reports. I think what the market's basically saying is like, okay, you know, we're not at E50. We're going to be closer to nine, and we're going to see how this thing goes. Right, And then if after these low-level talks, you start hearing the reports that come out of them, and this roadmap is still intact for basically the heads of the state to, to meet later on in the year, I think we're pretty stable on soybeans. But you're right. If it falls apart and they can't even get, get it down, then I'm real concerned about beans because all of a sudden now we really do have to respect this carryout number of 700 million or whatever mm-hmm. it may be uh, you know, for that crop year, and that just doesn't support – nine dollar soybeans it really on the futures market it really means closer to 850 or lower. Um, but you know what if the talks go really well then I you know all of a sudden carry up from the 500s if we add back all that Chinese demand and you know, things look a lot better you know for soybeans you know where you can you can argue another 50 cents the other way. So we'll be looking at it. I think there's more risk to the downside after this meeting in case things don't go as well as the market's open.
3: Okay. Craig, I want to take it over here to the wheat pits. We had a pretty down day today. After the strong <laughs> weekly export sales numbers that were released last week, what's going on here in the wheat market?
1: Well, wheat, the export market, so the exports, uh, the weekly grain exports, the, I think it was the inspections, was on the low side. You know, And that really wasn't such a big deal. But what's going on is what's happening with wheat in Russia and the Ukraine on the export market. Um, you know, at the end of last week, we had, the, we had a big rally when we were kind of testing the old highs again, and that really had to do with reports of, you know, Russia meeting with traders, meeting with greenhouses and saying, you know, are there going to be curbs on exports this year? Apparently in Russia, a lot of uh, the producers, um, you know, for uh, basically livestock there are concerned about input costs and meat prices. Um, There's also concern about if there's a big run on wheat in Russia, what happens if bread prices go higher? And a lot of the the producers in that country have been asking, hey, can we, you know, if you basically curb exports, that's going to leave enough wheat for us in the country. Um, So the Russia kind of had to address that. They didn't make any announcements about curbing it, but the fact that they're even talking about it got traders jittery, saying like, well, you know, they're not, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, maybe something's coming down later on the year. So we had the big rally. Uh, Today, we saw a lot of – we heard a lot of the cash dealers over in Russia actually trying to sell as much wheat as they could or actually step up the the sales on the cash market because they're worried about what happens if Russia does have an export ban later on Mm -hmm. in the year, right? They'd rather just get rid of the product now at a good price than not be able to. So the wheat market up 17, down 17, you know, we're United States wheat down on the port now is probably – the, the most competitive on the global export market. It was disappointing to see sales not that strong this morning. What the market's really going to look for then, you know, is next week or the next round of sales reports from the USDA is, you know, are we, are we going to be picking up offers? Is there going to be more demand in U.S. week? Because the idea is going into the fourth, fourth quarter sometime, whether it be October or November, Ukraine and, and Russia just aren't going to have the supplies available. Um, to to export so much, and there's issues going on in Europe, there's issues going on with production in Australia, and there's even some dryness in Canada. The idea is, while exports have been disappointing for wheat so far, they're really expected to pick up in Q4 and into Q1 of 2019. So when you get a supply issue like that, the markets can get wild. We've all seen these before with corn and soybeans, where we're talking about drought and there's scarcity of a product, which may not show up now, but could show up later in the year, and it's difficult to price that and find a you know,
0: price discovery for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it's kind of whiplash if you're a producer and or a, a hedger trying to make sense of these markets. And, Greg, you mentioned that uh, Russian livestock producers are getting a little worried about their input costs, and I want to jump over to American livestock producers. We had weakness across all the meat classes today live cattle let's start there bring us up to speed what's happening here in the cattle industry we cannot seem to get too far one way or the other from that 110 mm-hmm. level on the board
1: yeah it, that is interesting um you know it is it is summer right you know so seasonally there is a seasonal impact on cattle and um you, know, you, you kind of have to watch what's going on in the what's going on in the cash market um the the actual demand for cash cattle and cutouts is fine, but it's nothing. It's not gangbusters, and you know no one really expects a whole lot of you know price improvement until the fall and winter, which is which is seasonal. Um, I will say this: you know, if we go back and remember what the the cattle on feed numbers were saying earlier in the year, I mean there was a story like January through June about of you know how how big the the supplies were gonna be from those cattle on feed reports and we're working through that now. I don't see it anything other than that. It takes time. The life you know the, the cycles in cattle uh, take time to work through itself in terms of supply. So I know they're low now. I'm a lot more positive in the fall, you know, in the fall and winter when demand comes in. But there I mean I just like to call it, I just like to tell everyone that we work with here that those cattle on feed reports were big. We're big in the first half of 2018. We just gotta just gotta respect that and let the the system
2: basically clear itself out.
3: Craig, I want to take it to Lean Hogs here. We had a limit up day last week, followed by today's nearly limit down day. Is it because of reports of another outbreak with African swine fever? I mean, what's providing some volatility to the hog markets today?
1: Okay, so the, to really get a whole handle on the hog market, the first thing we have to just just acknowledge that the cash market and the futures market is kind of dislocated from itself. I mean, the, the ca- I mean, while we were a limit up at the end of last week, the cash prices were still going down. So there's a couple of things. Um, mm. You know, over the past couple of weeks or months, really, the, the hog market has been coming down, which is counter-seasonal, usually it's strong now. I mean, the, the bellies and the, the cutouts have just kind of plummeted. And the futures traders and the funds had gotten pretty short, like actually very short and very aggressive, especially on the, on the fund side. So when we started hearing reports of NAFTA, where Mexico and the United States could really make some headway on NAFTA, and then the swine flu in, in China, that re- the combination of those happened pretty close together, considering with the, the speculative short um, that had been put on as the market had been coming down started a lot of short covering. So that's why, like, on Friday, cash prices were lower, yet we were limit up in the future. It's not had a lot to do with with the market worrying about, like, I think the one of the Mexican uh, ministers of agriculture was one of their ministers came out and said they're expecting a deal in NASA with the United States this week. That would be big for the pork
0: market. Absolutely. Um, you know, where and right. It would be huge. It would be
1: huge. And that's enough to just be like, I'm getting out of my shorts, buy them all back now, right?
0: So. hmm so it was just kind of a spring yeah. that had been compressed, especially by those fund sellers. That then on Friday they're like, "Eh, you know this thing looks good. Let's just bail out and boing, limit up." So then right, today's yeah, trade, no
1: one would stay long over the weekend, right? Yeah.
0: So. Right. So then today's trade was just maybe getting a little back uh, towards rationality, perhaps.
1: I think it definitely was, especially like if you look at something like December Lean Hawks, I mean, what? in the past two weeks, I mean, less than ten trading sessions, we've gone from forty-four to fifty-four, right? So we're talking a 20% increase in prices in less than two weeks on the board. Um, you know, there's going to be some snapback. I think with trade after one, two, three, four, five, six, seven up days in a row, we're down. We're we're down today, and we're down more in the front months, which makes sense because mm-hmm. that's where demand's going to be the weakest. But going forward, I think you have to the factor in the seasonal demand um, coming back in some kind of some kind of seasonal demand coming back in, or at least some kind of seasonal limited, limiting of, of supply. And if as far as China goes, if swine flu is really an issue there, then and the type of, because it's that African swine flu that they're talking about, we're going to probably see they're going to have, humans can't eat that, you know, eat that pork that's, that's been diseased with that. So they're going to have to get rid of those animals. Um, so I think Cash prices are weak. We're kind of coming back to the reality of that a little bit. But the futures market is forward thinking. And if the futures market's forward thinking, then you have to take into account massive deals and the potential of China fluid. That's why we see this dislocation between the cash market and the futures.
3: Absolutely, Craig. That makes total sense. Thank you so much for giving us your thoughts on today's Market Monday
0: episode.
1: No, you got it. Thank you. I'll come back anytime.
0: All right. Well, you know, it's always good to talk to Craig there and folks, you can always find him, you know, online at the the Turner's Take podcast. He's always got some interesting thoughts. And Delaney, you know, it's, I, yeah, it's fascinating. The the breakdown in pricing between futures and cash on the hog side, I, you know, I hadn't even considered that. that. And, you know, now we got a pretty good explanation of what's going on there.
3: Yeah, kind of a newer perspective or maybe when we haven't heard from somebody any, in any time to my recollection.
0: Yeah, recently for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, If folks Delaney are listening and they want to follow along, get more information, give us their thoughts, maybe shout at us via social media, where should they do that?
3: They can go to our Facebook and Twitter. They can find us on Facebook at Ag News Daily, or they can also check out our new Global Ag Network Facebook page. We're going to be uploading some content there. I think we're going to roll out here within the next month or so with the Global Ag Network, so do stay tuned on those social media sites. You can also find us on Twitter at Ag News Daily or at Global Ag Network, or head to our website, www.agnewsdaily.com, and you can watch any of our old or listen to any of our old episodes there. With that, Mike, should we let the people go?
0: Let's let them go.